0: All right, it's a Tuesday edition of Pro Football Talk Live. Chris Sims, Mike Florio. Chris, two days beyond his 41st birthday and hopefully feeling older than ever. I mean, technically you are as old as you've ever been. Then again, so am I. Happy Tuesday. How are you? I'm doing good. (laughs) I'm feeling old as
1: I've ever been. Like, you know, every now and then I get this like back hip thing, man. And last week I got it. Like, it's just, it's like miserable. I'm so tight down there in my right hip, right lower back, that I feel 41. I really do. It's annoying me when I sleep. I can't work out the same way. Um, So I'm feeling the age over here. It's almost as if you spent years playing a contact sport. You know, sometimes that crosses my mind that maybe that did some (laughs) damage to me. You know what I think also really it is? I mean, you you know this. Like when you just do – An exercise or something too many times your whole life. I really think it's from me twisting into the throw, right? Just hundreds and thousands of times, day after day after day, to where I have like a deficiency there in that right hip because I was always turning into it. You see, golfers and baseball players kind of get it every now and then. It's man, it's it's messing up my uh, my flow, man. It really is. Well, my hips are fine. Oh, good. uh, As my throwing
0: motion will confirm again and again as you well know although although we are a few years removed from this you you have improved dramatically the bar was very low but the one chris sims tip the point the elbow in the direction of where you're throwing the ball caused my passing skills to improve five or
1: ten times better than they were again no nope. bars yeah well well it's all right yeah you got that front shoulder in there and then I mean yeah maybe at the the Super Bowl this year somewhere we get a little more extended time we'll give you like phase two of quarterbacking and and so you can really throw some missiles around the backyard and, and show some uh, people what you got
0: yeah we need to do it before I'm too old to throw yeah right fortunately those days are coming <laughs> all right A guy who's too young to be in the NFL. He just turned 21, and he's on track to play at some point this season. We thought as soon as week one. Trey Lance, the third overall pick in the draft, 49ers cornerback. Quarterback, not cornerback, quarterback. It's always important to articulate the words properly. Lance has a small chip in a finger on his throwing hand, and he will miss about a week, according to Coach Kyle Shanahan. It happened against the Raiders in the preseason finale. A certain amount of irony here. And again, I never know whether I'm using the word right. We worry about Jimmy Garoppolo getting injured. And it's Trey Lance who gets injured in the pocket. Not running. In the pocket. You saw it there. A blitzing linebacker in his face. The follow-through hits the helmet. That's always one of the most prevalent risks for a quarterback. The hand striking a helmet. He got lucky. He's only missing a week. I mean, guys have been knocked out for Weeks, months, seasons—no doubt—because of that kind of an injury. So, a stark reminder that sometimes your quarterback decisions are made
1: for you, right, by what happens to your quarterbacks who are on the field. Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, that's and you know you, you don't see it happen to like Brady and Rodgers a whole lot, right? Like those type of guys because they got great feel and they can feel. You know, blitzers coming and they know like, oh man, I don't, I'm not going to have a lot of room to make this throw. Let me keep my arm real tight so I don't bang it on somebody's helmet and do those things. But again, this is a young guy who's still getting used to football and everything like that. And like you said, even for some of the older guys, you're going to hit your hand on a helmet every now and then. It is. It's part of playing, playing the position of quarterback is kind of always feeling that and trying to protect your moneymaker. I mean, geez, my dad, he was one of those guys that lost the season early in his career. Had his thumb clean, ripped off. Off in a football game, Mike. I mean, just dangling on a on a piece of skin. Yeah, no problem. Good Thank morning. You. Enjoy your Good morning, London with breakfast. <laughs> but enjoy your bangers. Yes, but but you know, you see there. Like I know Shanahan yesterday. He he didn't want to tell anybody what finger it was. Well, I mean, we could see what finger it was. It's his pointer finger. He's clearly holding that. Where I would say, Mike, honestly... That's always that's always
0: a clue. Yeah. <laughs> the finger the guy's holding after he hits it on a helmet is probably the finger that he injured. Right,
1: well, when Shanahan was like, I'm not going to tell you what finger. I was like, I got the game recorded. I mean, we could just go look at it. Like, come on, <laughs> like, just tell us, Kyle, what are you doing? Like, you're going Belichick on us now? But I think if there's like a finger that you're going to hurt, that's probably one of the better ones to hurt. Your pointer finger holding a football right, and here's the top of the ball, it's not as important as maybe the ring finger, the pinky finger, the thumb where you're really locking the grip. The pointer finger's on there maybe just to guide the ball. And where that could maybe be an issue just is really, honestly, I don't think the throw itself, but when you release the ball and let your hand go, right, and there's that motion right there. And if that's sore, that's where it could be really annoying to where every time you let the ball go, yeah, I threw the ball good, but oh, man, my finger. Like as soon as you just let it go and it has that flick to it. Uh, but, you know, hopefully this is not a long-term thing because the 49ers, we know. I mean, Shanahan, he's, he wants this guy out there. I think he wants this part of his offense. The guy needs reps, and he's trying to prove that he was worthy of the number three pick. So there's a lot of things at play here in this conversation. Just has to be maddening. For Kyle Shanahan, infuriating
0: to have some stupid little thing like that happen. You make a good point, though, about the experienced quarterbacks. It's part of what you develop over time. Right. You understand what you can get away with. You understand when you have time to throw the ball and not have... Your hand strike an opponent on the follow through helmet shoulder pads anywhere, but of course the helmet is the last thing you want to hit when your hand is going full speed as you follow through after throwing a ball. The most experienced quarterbacks know what they can right. get away with, and my guess is some of the younger guys already have that Definitely. instinctively You see, Mahomes, Lance.
1: he can do Let-
0: it right. Lance got a lesson in it he got a lesson in it he'll learn from what happened to him on Sunday and that's just part of the process of learning the game where your body
1: fits in relation to all the obstacles that are around you yeah a hundred percent it is it's a feel you know as you more the more you play you practice you get a feel for oh wait the guy's coming free I really got to you know set my feet quick do something to to make the throw and yeah I'm not going to have that space but I will say this, yeah, those are going to be adjustments he has he has to make. There's no doubt about it. He is a little bit of a space thrower anyways. That's something I talked about during the breakdown in the draft and things like that. He's not always necessarily the guy. He's got a quick release, and we know he has a powerful arm. But the motion itself lends itself to his arm getting way out in front. I mean, anybody who watches Trey Lance do – pregame warm-ups, throwing the football at all, anything. The motion is a very over-the-top, and then he does this, and he brings his arm back. Almost every throw, if anybody watches him in pregame or anything like that. So that might be something he might have to tinker and toy with a little bit because that that the way he does release the ball is going to lend himself a little bit more maybe than the Mahomes, the Allens, you know, the Rodgers who come around more like we talk about, throwing the football. I, I, I think there's more ways to get out of trouble with that type of motion than the -the over-the-top power motion where he does that. And that's something I think, regardless of even hitting the finger, he's got to adjust it a little bit as he goes on here through his career just to become a better, more efficient thrower altogether.
0: And the quarterbacks who can bring it at the various arm angles, that's just part of the the process you go through Mm -hmm. instinctively and deciding, where are going to put your arm in relation to who's coming at you, 100%. who's in front of you, who's near you? Right. And, you know, I thought of something else when you mentioned the linebacker coming free, Lance getting rid of the ball. What did we hear by way of criticism of Lance after his first preseason game when he took four sacks? Got to pick up your hot reads on a blitz. Got to get rid of the ball. Right. So, to a certain extent, Kyle coached him into that injury. I'm not being critical I'm just saying that's what happens when you tell a guy you got to get rid of the ball when a blitzer is coming at you, you got to find your read and you got to get rid of it he did yeah he did the problem is that may have been an example where you just take the sack if you can't get rid of the ball without banging your hand on the guy's helmet go ahead and take the sack. yeah
1: sure you know the, again those are all I think you know you make good points it's experience too maybe you learn to you know like we've seen so many times uh, some of the quarterbacks do fade away a little bit, right, just to buy yourself just a hair more room or, you know, maybe do make a move just to get them out of the way and then now you got space to do those things. He'll learn that. But, again, these are the things that, you know, I I think – a lot of people, a lot of evaluators saw he just, he's just he got to play more football. That's the big thing, and that's going to be the frustrating thing for Shanahan because I would imagine from what we saw in that game the other day, he's got way more run plays with that quarterback design than he showed. That's going to be part of his game plan, and he realizes that he's got a quarterback that's the number three pick that has not played a lot of football over the last two years, and he needs to get out there, and I think that's where it's going to be frustrating for the Niners and, and Shanahan as we go forward here. I think experience is even more important for Trey Lance because he's coming from
0: North Dakota State. He's coming from the FCS level, which used to be one double A. So the the defenders are much faster. No doubt. Much more sudden. They're on top of you like they've never been before. Your physical skills aren't at a level so much higher than the guys who are chasing you around, you got to get used to that too. Definitely, you've Mike. got guys who are on you like they've never been
1: on you before. A hundred percent. Those are all things that I, I think are yeah part of this learning process, especially for him for all the points that you just brought up there too. Added, Mike, to you talk about the FCS one double A thing, right? You know, you know they played a style of football that was kind of run first football and then he would you know make a big throw or a big run or anything like that and then hey let's not forget last year he didn't even play football they played one game so i think all the things you said the things i say right there yeah he's he's out of all the quarterbacks that were drafted in the first round he's the guy that needs to be out there and see the live bullets and keep playing a little bit more football because yeah right now he's a great athlete with a strong arm right he's uh, you've heard me say that before He's not a quarterback who's a great athlete right now. He's an athlete who's playing quarterback to me. And hopefully he can make that transition as we go on here during the season. From a quarterback who played one game last year to a quarterback
0: who possibly may play zero games this year, Deshaun Watson. On Sunday, Brian Flores, the coach of the Miami Dolphins, stayed away from any Deshaun Watson chatter at a time when there were rumors and reports of a potential trade to Miami. On Monday, many think Flores found a way to maybe send a message about where the Dolphins stand with Deshaun Watson by talking about the kind of players the team is looking for. Here's Coach Flores. You know, with any player on our team, any honestly, any, any person in the organization, um, there's a standard of of. Uh, you know, we have a standard of the of of you know they, we want the way we want people to. Look, I mean we have a high standard for the people we have in the organization so uh, I don't get into last strikes or anything we just you know we we, we want the people with high character and who, who throughout the building and you know, yeah that's what we're looking for Tiptoeing through the minefield, you could see it. You could see the careful choosing of the words. It reminded me of what Jim Harbaugh used to do at the San Francisco 49ers press conferences. I felt like he had an invisible teleprompter where he would put the words on it and read them before he would say them (laughs) just to try to protect himself (laughs) from himself. But, yeah, look, he knows where he's at. And the Dolphins are interested in Deshaun Watson. The Dolphins have been talking to the Texans about Deshaun Watson. This all came to a head over the weekend because we're getting close to one of the natural points where a decision must be made about a trade because the Texans have to decide by 4 p.m. Eastern today, are they going to keep Deshaun Watson on the active roster? Are they going to trade him? Are they going to put him on the 53-man roster and then maybe tuck him on injured reserve tomorrow? Do they go forward with 52 players on their roster plus Deshaun Watson? These are all things that are in the process of being resolved by the Texans. And a trade is the easiest way to solve that problem. Then you got your 53-man roster. Then someone else is paying Deshaun Watson $10.54 million this year. So, look, the allegations against Deshaun Watson continue to be allegations. Yeah. 22 civil, civil lawsuits, 10 criminal complaints. We don't know where this is going to go. But, but there's enough there that people have expressed concern sure. about what they're getting into sean watson so i can understand the stress that brian flores was experiencing in trying to say that because he very well may have deshaun watson in the building before too long if the texans soften in their demands via trade supposedly they want three first round picks two second round picks Today, tomorrow, and and look, you know, this is the other point, Chris. I don't know when the real deadline is. The deadline may not be until the Tuesday after week eight, the trade deadline. Right. This could continue into the season. Yeah. There isn't a clear you must trade him today or else until
1: then. Right. Yeah. I mean, we're just gonna at least today see what they're gonna do. So that that's at least a you know, a jump off point. I am interested to see how they play this here. Like you said, do they really go with a fifty three man roster with him on it? And really have fifty-two guys. I mean, there's there's just so many different ways this goes. But yeah, I'm with you, Mike, to a degree there. I mean, I think Brian Flores, eh, first off, I know he wants high character guys and those type of stuff. I mean, that's the New England staff. You know, they they want guys that love football, want to be around it, and are good people. You know, I think as he was in the middle of that conversation, he realized like, oh man, I might be backing myself in the corner because some people are going to go, well, wait, you're trying to trade for Deshaun Watson, and he's not a high character guy. You know, we've had that discussion before too. You know, I, I, so we'll, we'll see where that, that whole conversation goes. But, uh, I think the interest is real, like you said, from the Miami Dolphins all, all offseason. We know that. It's not like a, that's not even, everybody knows that. That's a known fact in the NFL. Anybody you talk to is going to go, yeah, the Dolphins have been trying to get him all year long. It's just about, yeah, what do the Texans want to do? What's the price? Are they willing to, you know, sell Deshaun Watson right now for the low and get out of it, not have to deal with it anymore, not pay him any more money, do all those type of things, or are they going to hold on to him? Like you said, roll the dice, kind of see where it goes, and hopefully – it all goes in a positive direction where they can maximize maybe at the trade deadline or after the year. I mean, those are their options, but there is certainly, like we talked about yesterday, great risk in waiting to trade him too because if more comes about and things like that, and now he's, like we talked about, maybe missing games next year and all those type of things, that throws a wrench into a, a lot of things as well as, as we go along here. They're likely to get more if they trade him in March once there are more teams
0: that would come to the table. But the problem is there may be greater uncertainty or at least equal uncertainty about his legal situation, which then puts the Texans on the brink of a $35 million salary for 2022, as opposed to the $10 million they would pay him this year. That is part of the problem. And, you know, Chris, something that occurred to me while, and this is another reason why I like doing this show, because a lot of this stuff, we just have very basic talking points and topics we want to get to we sound it out as we go yeah it occurred to me two things first if they believed deshaun watson had some sort of character flaw that caused him to fall below the standard that brian flores was trying to articulate yesterday they would have crossed his name off the list months ago it w- we wouldn't be at the point where we're having the conversation because they already would have decided we don't want this guy See you later. And I'm sure there are teams out there that have decided, we don't want this guy. See you later. The Dolphins aren't one of them. 100%. Right?
1: 100%. And okay. That's where, wait, hold on. Before you go to your next point, don't forget your next point. But that that's where, you know, you've heard me say, I think, a few times, right, where I go, I know there's people in the league who are just chalking this up to, hey, this is a good guy who might have been a little horny or whatever. Sorry, London. All right. Uh-huh. And... And he made some mistakes that way. I, I, sorry if I didn't phrase that way. I didn't mean to, you know. No, that's fine. Okay. That's fine. But you, but you know what I'm, I'm trying to five. say. I'll yeah. explain what you're saying. What <laughs> yes. you're saying
0: is this. These are serious allegations that have been made against him. Right. There is a certain recognition and an admission by his lawyer at one point that he would have massage therapy sessions that became consensual sexual activities. Right. The allegations against him are he made people uncomfortable because apparently there were situations where he thought it was going a certain way they didn't they got uncomfortable and right. there are a few allegations two or three total that claim that there was some sort of forcible activity but he did put himself generally in an environment with an attitude of curiosity whatever the right word is he goes into those sessions thinking this is going to go a certain way and sometimes plenty of times 22 times apparently the massage therapist did not agree with his assessment of the situation that's where he is yeah, now yeah. you know whether where that falls on the range of who has high character and who doesn't but, but different minds are going to resolve that differently i think that's your point that is, here's my second you. point yeah. i i almost feel like because we are in full blown posturing negotiating leverage mode here that's that's why I think, for example, yesterday there was a report from Aaron Wilson, who I think covers the Texans now for Seven Ninety Sports Talk in Houston. the The notion that the Texans are prepared to put Deshaun Watson on the fifty three man roster and pay him every week and make him inactive every week they're prepared to do it. To me, that's that posturing. We're we're prepared to do it, and I think with with Brian Flores weaving his way through what he said yesterday it's almost like his way of letting the texans know yeah hey you're trying to trade us a guy who has some blemishes
1: yeah who right. has
0: some issues quit acting like it's january right that was the first reaction that an executive with one team that had interest in watson shared with me back in late july when he showed up for camp and everyone on nfl network saying oh they want oh they want three first round picks plus oh and nobody says well wait a minute they, Things have changed, folks. It's a different environment. It's a different overall analysis when you look at 22 civil lawsuits and 10 criminal complaints. Right. You ain't getting three first-round picks and two second-round picks. So I, I think that that may have been kind of a an effort that that maybe he tried to abandon halfway through Yeah, as he was explaining it to send the message back to the Texans. You, you're not sending us a guy who has... No impediment to his ability to play, and and that's what I keep coming back to. What we talked about yesterday, they need to have a formula that hinges. I on hear you, Mike. The number of games that he's available to play. That's the fair outcome for everyone if a trade's going to happen now.
1: Yeah, you know, Mike, I, I I'm glad you got to that, that that second point you made about you know maybe just sending a signal again. Flores and Casario were there in New England together forever, for a long, long time. So. Uh, you know, yes, I, I did. That cross my mind too. That maybe that was a planned thing to be like, wait, we like high character guys. Your guy right now is questionable with the character question. Okay, what the hell do you think you're gonna get from him in the trade? Basically, to, to sum up, I that certainly is something that crossed my mind. And yeah, I don't know what the Texans expect right now. I mean, yeah, your your logic and and what you said yesterday as far as you know, tying the the trade and the picks to the amount of games he plays and all those things makes a lot of sense. I know what doesn't make sense is like what you're saying and what we continue to hear. They want three first-round picks. There is no freaking way. Nobody, nobody is going to pay three first-round picks for Deshaun Watson right now. That's like insane. It just, I, I, there's no way that happens. And whatever team does do that, they're going to get lambasted by their local media and fans if they do that. So that's where. Yeah, that, that logic does not line up. And I don't know what that price is and where it's fair, but your, your, your theory certainly makes sense. And it sounds like Casario's got a high asking price that's not realistic right now.
0: Yeah, and the question is are they going to cut and run now? Is ownership going to get involved and say, we're not paying this guy? to not play look he made this mess we gave him a major contract last year and he's going to basically go on strike and we have to pay him I'm not doing that you trade him for whatever you can get you go out there and find as many potential suitors as you can you get me the best offer and we're taking it we're not keeping this guy around we don't want him on the team I mean that may be part of this too the one thing I'll give the Texans credit for for all the things they've done wrong over the course of the last year and we could fill up more than two hours listing them all and discussing them they have managed to keep very close to the vest the question of whether or not ownership just wants to get this guy the hell out of houston because look for now the allegations pending against deshaun watson do attach to the houston texans when you mention deshaun watson the helmet that's going to come up the logo that will be on the screen is the Texans' logo. You can't separate that until you separate him from the team. And it's entirely possible that Cal McNair and others at the higher levels of the organization above Nick Casario just want him gone. And maybe that's part of the game that the Dolphins are playing. Maybe they're banking on that. But it is a game of chicken to a certain extent as to who's going to blink, who's going to budge, and what are you going to do. And the Texans may ultimately make this calculated risk. We're going to kick it over to March... We're going to hope there's clarity, and we're going to hope that at that point we can say, all right, three ones, two twos, or whoever wants to offer more right. than that, because there'll be nine or ten teams after the season yeah. who will at least be exploring the possibility, and and that may be what they do, and, and uh, Deshaun Watson won't play at all this year. Right. They'll pay him to not play this year, and they'll keep him healthy, they'll keep him available, and they'll... They'll try to trade him in March if there's enough clarity with his legal situation.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, right now maybe that seems seems like it's the best option. You know, we, we talked about like you said. I mean, the the risk of maybe nothing gets cleared up, and we're still in the same spot we are right now in March, in April, and now you're going well. Yeah, okay. Well, we're not trading for him now, and he's got a thirty-five million dollar you know uh, check coming his way for the season. Sorry, we don't know what's going on. So that's the risk they take. Here's another thing, just the last thing, because I know we're going to move on to another tub- t- topic. But like, also what jumps to my mind is just even right now, the calendar date of the trade would lower the trade value to me to a degree. You're trading for Deshaun Watson to be the starting quarterback. We don't know what the NFL would do if one of these teams did trade for him and was just like, hey, he's our starting quarterback. We don't know. The legal stuff's not resolved. All right, he's He's playing. But even within that, if a team wanted to do that, man, we're late in the game here. We really are. I mean, you know, the Dolphins are a team that's going, we're a playoff football team. You get us Watson, yeah, we're a Super Bowl team. But Watson's not going to be like 100% hitting on all cylinders with very little practice, going to a new place, learning that system. Even though Miami, I know they have the same system Watson was a part of with Billy O'Brien and all those type of things. So you can't think that you're going to get a guy right now that's just going to come in and be the Watson we know. Yeah, maybe he gets there by week five, six, plays himself into shape and all those type of things. But if I'm a team looking at Watson right now and involved in that conversation, I'm scared of that at this point. Wait, we framed our team. We kind of have a culture of our team, a lifeline of our team of how we played, what we expect to do all training camp. Preseason was good. Tua played good. We framed the offense and things that you know that he does well around him and, and around the rest of our personnel. And that throws a wrench into that too if you're to tra- trade for Deshaun Watson right now to where I would go, man, just even at that base level there, football-wise, uh, it, it's a scary trade this late in the game. And, and I think that's got to be at least a part of the thought process for the Dolphins or the Eagles or any of the other, other teams we, we know that, that have interest. The Texans would say, we want what we want because this is a trade
0: you're making for right. a quarterback who will play for you over the course of the next decade. And yes, there's a cloud in the immediate future, but you're going to have him for a long time. That's why we want what we want. But but you don't want to. If you can wait until March of next year and try to get him then, you don't want to turn the current season upside down just for the sake of getting him. Unless you're going to get him for a lot less. Yes, right. Then maybe, March. yes, now, right. One thing you said, and then we will move on, that that caught my ear, and I wanted to make this point earlier. If you trade for Deshaun Watson and you get ready to put him on the field week one, that could be when the league says, whoa, 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 we're putting him on paid leave. Well, why didn't you put him on paid leave before? We didn't have to put him on paid leave. That's a theory that we've been kicking around ever Uh since he showed up for training camp, Chris. The idea that the league hasn't done it. Because there's no indication he's going to play for the Texans. So why create a news cycle of NFL places Deshaun Watson on commissioner exempt list. And then right. everybody's talking about it. it's the top story. It's here. It's there. It's everywhere. You just don't do anything. He goes to another team. He's getting ready to play commissioner gets a little uncomfortable with the reality that uh, you know this game's going to be on prime time and they're going to be talking about Deshaun Watson guys playing in the game 22 civil lawsuits 10 criminal complaints can't have that paid leave so that's another risk that you're taking if you trade for him it's really not a risk the Texans have because they're going to play him anyway but if you trade for him that's that's a risk and that's a reason to, to let it roll into next year and right now I think that and of course, watch—he'll be traded by the time this, the show's over. Mm-hmm. I think—I think it's all—I think it's all, all going to. I agree. Next year. Um, I agree. Unless, unless
1: they'd really lower it.
0: serious injury, oh. starting quarterback Carson Palmer type of a trade. Remember, Palmer and the Bengals were caught in that impasse ten years ago. Jason Campbell breaks a collarbone. Hugh Jackson and the Raiders swoop in with a big package of picks for the Bengals, for Carson Palmer, if there's something like that and a team goes straight to desperation and says, we'll give you three first-round picks and two second-round picks because we otherwise got nothing, that's that's the only way it happens between now and March. That's my current feeling.
1: Yeah, I I, I hear that. Or, or like you said, they just lowered the price tag to a point where the team's like, you know what, screw it. We'll do it. We'll take it. Yeah, we might not be at our best this year or whatever else, but – you know, like you said, it's a ten-year window where we're really looking at to to maximize the trade and everything like that. But uh, yeah, I think as if we I know, had to guess, if I had to guess,
0: I'd say the Texans are not going to soften. I, if I had to guess, but, it, doesn't
1: like, it doesn't seem like it doesn't. Maybe they've like, done
0: a great job of making it look like they won't. But I, I'm, if I had to guess, I'd say they
1: won't. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it. And I, you know, I think just yes, with so many uncertainties. As close as we are getting to the regular season, those type of things, uh, I would be shocked to see it go down too. I really would be.
0: Speaking of uncertainty, the COVID-19 situation, which created weekly, if not daily questions last year, continues to hover over the 2021 season. And there there still is a, a group of viewers out there, and we appreciate all of our viewers, but they get a little antsy. They get a little upset when we talk about the pandemic. Well, folks, it's, it's still a major it's, fact.
1: It's, it's here.
0: Act. It's still here. It's not over, despite what your algorithms may be feeding you on Facebook. It's not over. It is here. And the NFL's protocols conflict with the pandemic in a very stark way, specifically for the unvaccinated. And we've spoken a lot about the Vikings and the Bills as two of the teams that have a significant group of unvaccinated players. The Colts do as well. Yes, we And know. we found yeah. that out yesterday. Carson Wentz... One of three Colts placed on the reserve COVID list because of close contact with an infected person. Now, you don't get knocked out for five days because of close contact with an infected person unless you're unvaccinated. So, for all these efforts to keep it secret and keep it quiet, which I don't agree with, I think it should be transparent. This is a way it necessarily becomes transparent. Close contact, five days. COVID-19 reserve, that means the player was not vaccinated. So we've learned another starting quarterback, Chris, not vaccinated in Carson Wentz.
1: Yeah, I mean, and, and another one, like, like a Cam Newton or anybody else out there, where I'd go, why? Why? Your life's hanging in the balance. I mean, wow. Well, Football, I mean, you know, in a football life, life and, and, right. And, and, and actual and life, life, potentially. Yeah, I don't know. I say that because I, I, that was my life when I was playing quarterback. I mean, it, it was like – But, 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 but this, this, is yeah. a, this is, a for many, a life-and-death situation, as we continue to find out. Uh, no doubt. plenty of people want to ignore that. No, no, you're, you're right. There's no doubt. I mean, again, you know, one, I want to just as a basic human go, why? There's, we have all the evidence that this stuff works. It works. It's better for our society. Like Jerry Jones said, check I at the door. Let's start talking we. And then, you know what? When you talk about we, it might actually help I out. And now I is sitting your butt over on the sideline again. So there you were (laughs) injured. I was injured. And now I am not practicing because I have close contacts to COVID. I just don't get it. You know, I really don't. It couldn't be worse timing. He's just getting back in the flow of things from the foot injury. And. You know, it's a huge year for him, for his career. I mean, everybody is, you know, it's it's like, man, Carson Wentz, is he going to take off and be awesome with a team that support or supports him, or is it going to be fall on his face, Carson Wentz, a little bit what we saw last year? I mean, his career is teetering here right now. It's a huge year for him. He's had lack of practice time, as we talked about already, and as we brought up a million times too, You know, they have an unbelievable schedule. They view themselves, excuse me, as a Super Bowl team, and they got to be, like, going crazy because they can't be very happy with what they've seen with Jacob Eason to this point. It's been okay, but nothing great. You're not going, oh, we're going to beat the Seahawks, Rams, Titans, Dolphins, and Ravens with Jacob Eason. No, you're not. I'm sorry. This just in. You're not. And now Ellinger's hurt, and they don't have that option either, so... I'm I'm dumbfounded by it. I really am. I can't believe Carson Wentz would take the risk, and now he's going to have to uh, reap reap uh, the repercussions here.
0: Yeah, I, this is a guy who's trying to reestablish himself after a horrendous 2020 season. He wants to show he's a franchise quarterback. He wants to stick it, presumably, to the Eagles for drafting Jalen Hurts last year and sure. putting him on the hot seat, and eventually making him want out. He's got every reason to do whatever he can to be available. And I tweeted this yesterday and this isn't anything new. I just wanted to hammer home the point. It is impossible to reconcile refusal to be vaccinated with willingness to do whatever you can to be available to play in every game. It cannot be reconciled. I don't care how much plexiglass Kirk Cousins is going to wrap himself in. You get tested every day if you're unvaccinated. Positive you're gone for 10 days. Could happen on game day. Gone for 10 days. See you later. Forget about winning that game when we have a game plan ready for you, and all of a sudden we gotta flock to the backup instead. Right. Second, this close contact thing. Close contact with anyone who's infected. They're Ooh. still wearing the tracking devices. Right. You got you got somebody who's vaccinated, who's got a mask on, but somehow you get it or they get it and you're close to them. Five days minimum. That's what happened to Carson Wentz. So you cannot reconcile. Refusal to be vaccinated with willingness to be available for the team, for yourself, as a professional who wants to play in every possible game. It cannot be reconciled. I don't care what anyone says. You cannot harmonize those two points. Because if you're committed to being available for every possible game under the rules the NFL has put in place, you get yourself vaccinated. Period. Period. And we keep seeing example after example where we just scratch our heads and say, how does this guy not get it? It's one thing for Kirk Cousins, who is completely safe. It's another thing for Cam Newton, Carson Wentz, guys who are trying to resurrect their careers, putting themselves in a position where they can't play. I'm dumbfounded by it. I never would have expected it in a sport like football where the players do what they're expected to do to be available to play. Well, they do that for everything, but the COVID nineteen vaccine.
1: Yeah, I you know I mean listen I you know we talked about a year and a half ago. I don't think players are going to give a damn about COVID or be scared about it and all those type of things. Listen, I understand you don't need to be scared about it or anything like that. But you know, for the betterment of your football team, some of your older coaches, we have way more evidence now than we did a year and a half ago. I mean, there's there's no way to argue this anymore. I there, there's there's no argument. I don't know, go down to the states that are not vaccinated right now and look what's going on. I mean, yeah, again, you're right. Now, some people, I don't know if they know what's going on because of their algorithm on Facebook, like you're talking about. They're not even they're not even like re- in, in reality there. But the reality is those places are in some tough spots because they're not vaccinated. It works. Come on. And I just can't understand it professionally either. For a guy who looks like he would do anything to play football, but this is where he's going to draw the line. And that's where I don't get it either, like you're saying. I do not get it. And uh, maybe he learns from from this lesson, and and hopefully he does, and and he can play the rest of the year. You know how the media feels
0: compelled whenever there's a hurricane to send reporters right into harm's way to prove that it's a hurricane? Yeah. Why aren't we doing and seeing more reporting – from these hospitals that are completely overrun, from the, the, the families who can't get people into a hospital, because I feel like it's not as prevalent no, as it needs to be. Right. To get the attention of the people who still think it's all fake, it's all
1: phony, it's all the flu. Those news networks aren't gonna go there, you know. I don't know. The news I'm watching, they they still are talking about that stuff a little, you know. It's not dominating like it once was, and yeah, maybe they need to be a little bit more forceful with it too. But I just feel like there's some people who have got caught in their own news cycle and really aren't even aware of some of those realities, and and that's where our our world is. Our country, especially, has gone crazy with a whole bunch of different topics here over the last few years. By the way, there was a change made yesterday to the protocol
0: for 2021 as it relates to COVID-19. The NFL and the NFL Players Association have agreed that vaccinated players will now be tested once per week instead of once every 14 days. The union at one point suggested daily testing even for vaccinated players, which the league has resisted so far, the union, in a letter to all players yesterday, explained they're still going to be pressing for potential changes as needed to the testing protocol. But it will be a weekly test now for the vaccinated players, not every 14 days, which
1: increases the chance, the possibility, right, of a guy
0: getting. Guy getting knocked out and a close contact flowing from it. That's a great point. It's not just Mm -hmm. the vaccinated player getting knocked out. It's vaccinated player test positive and anyone with that tracking device where it shows enough time spent around him. If you're unvaccinated, no questions asked, you're gone. Because if you're vaccinated, they haven't changed that rule. Right. You don't get knocked out for five days for a close contact.
1: Right. I mean, that's the thing that, you know, first off, I think this was the proper thing because, you know, we're seeing enough people get the virus that are still vaccinated. You know, we know they don't get as sick or die. So that's the good thing. Again, that's why we get vaccinated. But yeah, yeah, when I saw it, I just went, man, there's another reason to get vaccinated. Because now if you are unvaccinated, yeah, there's more of a chance you're going to get a guy now that is vaccinated and has those protocols, but okay, now he's gotten the virus and yeah, he was fine and he's asymptomatic and all those things, but you were eating lunch with him. Tough, tough crap. See you later. See you six days from now or your two you know, negative PCR tests, whenever that is. So uh, I don't get it. And for guys like Carson Wentz, like we talked about back in the spring, these are the exact guys where you're like, What? Like roster bubble guys, guys that it's a huge year for your career, all those things, that's where I just, I can't make any logic of it.
0: I get plenty of emails from people who want to argue with me about the effectiveness of the vaccine, the fact that people still get it, the fact that Great. natural immunity, if you've already had it, is is greater than being vaccinated. So if you already had it, you shouldn't have to get vaccinated. None of that stuff matters within the confines of what the league and the union have agreed the yeah. rules to be. You you cannot like the rule, but the rule is the rule. And plain and simple, even with the change that's been made to weekly testing for vaccinated players, if you want to ensure that you're going to be available for as many games as possible this season, getting vaccinated is the way to. To do it based upon the rules that have been created. You may not like the rule, but if you want to do what you have to do to be available to your team and to make your money, to earn your money, not get paid because, oh sorry, I can't play because I tested positive or as a close contact, but I still get my money. Thanks, Union, for that. That yeah, there's a lot of people that have issue with that. They think if you if you can't play, you shouldn't get paid. You're getting paid, but if you want to play, you got to get vaccinated. Let's take a break. All right, the preseason's over, but there's a, a lingering question that we need to delve into. How much should starters play in the preseason? Ravens coach John Harbaugh and Ravens running back J.K. Dobbins may have sharply different opinions on the topic. We'll discuss that next here on Pro
1: Football Talk Live. John, I've had a lot of people say, oh my gosh, Dobbins, why did they
0: play Dobbins in the preseason game? What, what do you say to those people? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's a, it's a fair... Conversation, you know, we played, we played Lamar, we played Mark, we played the starting offensive line, we played the whole offense for nine plays, I think it was. But there are other teams that don't play their guys at all. They don't play their starters even one snap. We are probably as close to that as we've ever. We've, I know we're farther down that road than we've ever been. We played our guys so little this offseason. You know, it's uh, it's just been it's just been how we've done it. But um, anytime a guy gets hurt, you know, you, you ask yourself those questions. Like any injury, which which happened and will happen uh, throughout the course of the NFL and different teams, uh, you just have to approach it and overcome it. It's adversity, and we'll have to deal with it, and we will. We have the players to do it. We have the team to do it. Our guys are excited today again to practice and, and have full confidence in the rest of the running backs that are here uh, to pick up the load and to, and to do a great job for us. John Harbaugh, Ravens coach in the aftermath of the injury from Saturday night that ended The season of promising running back J.K. Dobbins, who was great last year, good enough that they didn't need Mark Ingram anymore. It was J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, Lamar Jackson as the rushing attack for the Ravens. Chris, as I was listening to John Harbaugh, I remembered 2019 when the Ravens locked up the one seed with one game left. Mark Ingram got a calf injury in that game, if you remember that. And that prompted the Ravens to shelve all their starters for the final game of the regular season. They were down for three weeks. When you factor in the bye, they were flat when they came out for the postseason. You juxtapose that with this idea of we're going to play our starters in these preseason games. And as he said, plenty of teams won't play them at all. Yeah. It is a calculated risk you take. Sure. And hey, it's It's fine unless and until you lose one of your key players for the season. Then it's not fine, but there isn't a damn thing you can do about it at that point. Yeah, No,
1: I mean, you're right. But again, I mean, this is football, all right? And I understand there's some teams that don't play their starters. I get it. But I think when you really look at those teams that don't play their starters, you know, it's – It's Seattle, where you go, oh, the roster's good, but man, it's really dependent on, like, two or three guys. It's the Rams, where we've talked about, like, there's no depth on the football team. It's 22 starters, and if something happens, like, oh, crap, they're in trouble. But you look at the other teams that are in different areas that feel like we got a little bit more depth and things like that. Come on. You know, stop it, everybody. Stop it. If Tom Brady at 44 can be out there playing in multiple preseason games, shut the hell up. Like, really? Really? But it's part of football. You're going to get injured every now and then. And, you know, who's to say he doesn't get injured in week one or two because he hasn't played enough football and he's not used to getting hit and doing those type of things? We got too many people who have no clue what they're freaking talking about, making comments about this stuff sometimes. I know it's different for everybody, but – you know, we've seen New Orleans and Sean Payton playing a lot of his starters. We've seen Patrick Mahomes, the best player in football for three years straight, played in every preseason game. Please spare me the bull crap, everybody. Josh Allen, Ben Roethlisberger. But if, but if they get hurt, but if they get hurt after the year,
0: that it's a you are taking a calculated risk. You're also taking and a calculated risk listen, by not
1: playing though and not Chris, feeling the game a little bit too. And then all right. of a sudden you're in live bullets and you're hurt. hurt. There's there's something to that as well. Quarterbacks have a higher level of protection than running backs. Sure. You're
0: a running back, and you get into that scrum. You get sandwiched like Dobbins did. You run the risk of potentially injuring yourself. Trevor Lawrence put himself in harm's way unnecessarily last Monday night. We criticized him for that. Jimmy Garoppolo put himself in harm's way unnecessarily on Sunday when he went headfirst into a couple of Raiders to try to score a touchdown sure. and, and establish himself as the starter. Injuries potentially are going to happen. When they do, that coach is going to bear... The brunt of the questions and the criticism. And that's a balance. And look, I don't know if the studies are out there, if the teams that rest their starters, protect their starters in the preseason, if they have a greater rate of injury when we get into the games that count. But anytime you give a guy live reps with live tackling, because there's so little of it now in training camp and so little of it in practice throughout the week, it is glaring when that injury happens and we had the tweet on the screen it was actually and this is awkward for the ravens yeah taylor Bashotti, the niece of ravens owner steve basciotti who works for nfl network tweeted i don't understand playing starters in the preseason can't something i can't make that out i test failure convince
1: me otherwise can't convince me
0: otherwise thank you very much liked by jk dobbins And that tweet was right about the time that Dobbins went down on Saturday against the Washington football team. So, uh, yeah, hey, look, I can understand Dobbins' frustration. If starters hadn't been playing, he wouldn't have been injured. But you're right. We've seen major injuries week one. I remember the game, and I think it was 1997-ish, week one. Jerry Rice running an end around. Buccaneers. And Warren Sapp grabbing his face mask and tearing his ACL. There you go, Jerry Rice, Week One in ninety-five. Rod Woodson, there you go, Rod Woodson. Actually, Brady came was back and Week One, the Super Bowl that year. That's right, Brady with the low hit from Bernard Pollard, two thousand eight, gone for the season. We're gonna have that, and it's, I, it's more acceptable in the games that count though, because you're, you're not gonna rest your starters in a September regular season game. So hey, it's football; it happens. It's just harder, I think, for fans to process it when it happens in a game that's meaningless, whether it's week 17 meaningless
1: or week three of the preseason meaningless. Yeah, no, I get it. It is. It's harder to digest that. I, I understand that. I have sympathy there. Uh, and, and listen, I you're right. I mean, I'd like to know what the numbers are for the teams that don't play their starters and the injury rate as compared to the teams who do play them early on the season. I could tell you this, though. I don't need to look up the numbers. The teams that are really good more years than not, Play a lot of their plays, players in the preseason, and then they hit the ground running in the regular season. And the teams that sit their guys, it's like, oh, you know, there's a few weeks of like, hey, we got to get used to playing real football here. There's something to that, you know. Again, a lot of the great coaches err on playing their players, even though it might be calculated or what they do. But uh, I think at the end of the day, especially in this current NFL. Where you're not allowed to tackle and hit and have full pad practices nearly to the same extent that you were five years ago, 10 years ago, and not even on the same planet as 20 years ago, that these moments are more important to let's play the game, let's hit, let's tackle, let's bring people to the ground, let's get used to being in the scrum and how to protect yourself. That wasn't even, you know, what I would say to that play too it was out on the edge, it was out by the numbers. It wasn't like a total scrum. He had a guy coming from this side, a guy coming from this side. He saw them coming. He lowered his head, he, and he got himself in a bad spot. He didn't get his leg out of the ground. You know, it's unfortunate. I know he's an awesome player, and I'm really sorry to see it happen. But, you know, John Harbaugh's. you said last week, Hall of Fame coach. I mean, he's kind of a good coach. And he's certainly not a guy that doesn't listen to his players and – Like doesn't have some compassion and sympathy. And like he said, they're playing guys less than they ever have before. But he also knows they're the big bad Ravens, and everybody has got them marked on a calendar. And he knows the Raiders are going to be ready to go against them, and he wanted to get his team ready. He plays in the toughest division in all of football. He can't go, well, we'll just feel it out as the year goes along and see we'll get in a rhythm. No, he knows he needs to like start out strong if he wants to win the division, get in the playoffs, and do those type of things.
0: The one issue that I will take with the Ravens, and it's not that they were starting and playing their starters in order to get to this point, but the whole 20-game preseason winning streak mm. and the celebration about that, and look – if, if you have a dollar and a 20-game preseason winning streak, you know what you have? You have a dollar. Because the preseason winning streak means absolutely, yes. positively nothing at all. Nothing. It is just a way to infuse some fake meaning into inherently meaningless games. And if anything... They're going to be more inclined to wrap themselves in this 20-game winning streak because that's a way to maybe feel a little bit better about the fact that you lost your starting running back in the process. Trust me, I'd take 20 straight preseason losses over 20 straight preseason wins if it meant having my starting running back. Uh, you mentioned the Ravens being the big bad Ravens in the big bad AFC North. Let's take a look at the over under win totals provided to us by the Points Bet Sportsbook. The magic number for the wager for the Ravens is 11. Where do you see them coming in? And remember, it's 17 games now, so it would be
1: 11 and 6, not 11 and 5. I know. You know, I, I, the Ravens are a tough one to me here. You know, they play in the NFC North and they play the AFC West. Uh, not necessarily like the two best divisions in football, I, I, I want to be around that push area for the Ravens. I really look at it right there. I can see them losing a handful of games this year, certainly. I mean, their division is good, like we talked about. You know, they got to play Hey, the Colts. We see them on the schedule. Uh, their their 17th game is the Rams. That's not the greatest draw in the world and all that type of stuff. So, I, I, I mean... I don't know why, Mike. I feel like, again, I think they're going to get in the playoffs, but I guess I'm feeling somewhat of a, 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 not a letdown, but just maybe not as dominant as we've seen the last two years. I have like, you know, again, yeah, Dobbins is hurt, sure. You know, I want to see more growth in that passing game like we talked about, and it's not all Lamar like we talked about. Greg Roman's got to be better, too. They got to help him out. And then, you know, here's the other thing that scares me a little bit. I like their middle linebackers. I like their secondary. Their front scares me a little bit. I'm not so sure it hasn't gotten a little old. And I love Calais Campbell and Brandon Williams and everything they stand for and everything like that. But man, can the Ravens get pressure with their front four without blitzing? And that was a big issue last year. And I don't know if that question's been answered. And that scares me a little bit too, especially in the AFC with all these good quarterbacks. If you're blitzing them all the time, good luck. Because like... They're, these guys are just too damn good. They're going to make plays against the Blitz, and that's why they don't match up well against Mahomes and the Chiefs because they're like, oh, yeah, you're going to Blitz? You're going to leave Tyreek Hill one-on-one? Oh, Mahomes will just float away and zoom, 30-yard touchdown. Uh, so I guess that scares me a little bit about their football team. They always
0: find a way, though, to bring it defensively they with do. Wink Martindale. He's the, the man. And the contrast is, offensively, that's where – they have been underperforming. Now, look, great rushing attack, but you can't be one-dimensional and expect to be successful in the NFL. They've got to work in the passing game. Yes. The pressure is on Greg Roman. I, I Look, I, I think that if they aren't significantly better in the passing game this year, you may see a new offensive coordinator I hear that. in Baltimore sure. come next year. So the pressure is on the offense. But I could see them having a little chip on their shoulder because, hey, look, they were – pretty good last year and they were great two years ago and they had some bad luck early and you know you pick up a few losses and the next thing you know your magical season from 2019 is a distant memory you reset to zero and zero with John Harbaugh with Lamar Jackson with this effort to make the offense better they, they they could be good. I w- I'm inclined to go over. You're gonna go over
1: the 11 wins. So I'm gonna go over the. All right. 11 wins. I can't pick, now, I can't pick the push, huh? I mean, I guess I'm chickening out with the push because I really want to say 11 wins. I but I'll go. Well, i if, if
0: it was 11 and a half, you'd go under. If I would 10 go under if you'd go over. Yeah. Okay. So
1: I mean, for the sake of this exercise, I'll go under and say they're 10 and seven, uh, and still make the playoffs. But yeah, I don't know. There's just a little bit of a gut feeling I got here. We'll see. Cleveland Browns, everyone's darlings. Two years after they had high
0: expectations and fell flat, they've got higher expectations this year because they made it to the Final 8 in 2020. Ten and a half is the points bet win total. Chris, I have a feeling you're going to take the over with your Cleveland Browns. I uh, am my Cleveland Browns. A hundred percent, though. I am. Phil Simms once played for the Browns for... No, he didn't. No, he no, you came close.
1: Did. We got the jersey... Uh, but they were broke, so they couldn't pay them. So <laughs> they, that's why they moved. They had to move the, the hell out of Cleveland to go to Baltimore. But I am going over here. You know, I I think actually this is like I want to say this is an easy one to pick. You know, the only like hesitation I have is a little bit just like. It, it's the Browns. Am I? Are they struck with bad luck? I mean, I think when you erase are, that, are
0: I, you? Are you so, Wait, are you saying the Browns is the Browns? I, I mean, is that what you're saying? I
1: guess that I'm saying that influences your mind a little bit, and you have to fight off those demons to just be like, "Get out of here!" No, this team is good. They're in the right spot. I think the coach is the perfect fit for the football team. We saw. I mean, I just would be shocked if Baker regresses. I think everybody understands the offensive system. It's the second year, two years in a row, the same awesome, awesome uh, offensive system. Odell. I mean, the talent they have on the defensive side of the ball. There's pretty good depth. I, I just would be shocked if if Cleveland doesn't have more than ten and a half.
0: They go to Kansas City to start the season, and that would be the shot heard round the world if they could pull off a victory there. Schedule softens after that with the Texans, Bears, Vikings, Chargers, Cardinals, and yeah, I yeah, yeah, hey look, dangerous if they're gonna if they're gonna get to eleven or more wins, they're gonna earn it. Yeah, they got the Packers on the schedule. They got the Chiefs, as mentioned. They got the Steelers twice. They got the Ravens twice. The Bengals are not going to lay down for the Cleveland Browns. So Texans, uh, Bears,
1: Vikings, Chargers, Cardinals, Broncos, though, we could sit here right now and go, they're better than them. I know that doesn't mean wins, but I go, they're better. There's no doubt. And... We heard also like remember John Johnson a few weeks ago. John Johnson's a new guy on their team. He made a comment that I, I kind of popped to me, Mike. I, I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. I didn't, no, you're fine. That's but, fine. Go but, ahead. But you already John,
0: have. You're apologizing 30 seconds after you I cut know. me off. But fine. I Screw you.
1: It. I'm not really that sorry. <laughs> but either way, John Johnson, uh, he made a comment to me that that kind of popped a little bit. He said there's like a real edginess about that playoff loss, and they want their revenge. He made something like that. I'm paraphrasing, but I just went ooh. Yeah, they got it marked on the calendar. They feel like they should have beat the Chiefs and won that football game and I think they really look at themselves to go, no, no, we're legit. We saw the Chiefs. We went toe-to-toe. They went to the Super Bowl, and those they weren't hurt on the offensive line when they played them and all those issues. I think they look at themselves as a Super Bowl champ. And that's, I, to me, that's why Kansas City played their starters, because I think they know Cleveland's coming in to make a statement, like you said, a shot heard around the world, to kind of put the NFL on notice like the Browns are back, baby. You know –
0: I I always have an issue with the concept of revenge in that setting. How dare you score more points than we did in that football game we played where the object is to score more points. But I get it. Anything you can to motivate yourself, you circle that game on the calendar. The problem is you don't want to put so much into that first game that you forget about the games that are coming after I mean, Wouldn't that be the ultimate Browns outcome to upset
1: the Chiefs week one and lose
0: to the Texans.
1: See, that's like too. the bad Brown stuff. That's what I'm talking about. It's like infused in our brain over the last 15 years that you just think, man, is this? Are they going to really capitalize here, or are they somehow going to mess this up? And I don't know. I believe in this group here. I listen. I was but, not a huge Stefanski fan when they hired him, but I was wrong. He's the perfect fit for their football team.
0: How can you not feel that way though? That yeah. orange helmet with the brown and white stripes—that that it has been the symbol of NFL futility for so long that it takes more than one playoff run to change that perception. And maybe they benefit from that. Maybe teams will still take them lightly, even though the Browns is not the Browns anymore. So, uh, I, I, hey, I... I my niece is a huge Browns fan, so I was rooting for him to beat the Chiefs last year, even though you know I'm a Mahomes guy. I mean, the Chiefs got their ring. I I, I like mixing it up and having other teams get in the mix. Yeah. I like the idea of the Browns being good. Well, You know, yeah. it's like the Raiders. When the Raiders are good, the NFL is more interesting. When the Cowboys are good, the NFL is more interesting. Maybe the NFL will be more interesting when the Browns are good. It's been so long, who the hell remembers?
1: No, you're right. You're right. And, you know, and, and again, you, you know, yeah, the motivation from last year. You know, remember, you know, not only did they knock out Mahomes – Where they go, yeah, we probably should have won that game. But at the end of the first, remember they had the North Korea fumble in the end zone, the greatest rule in football, right? Remember that one? That's another one where when you lose that game, you just go, damn, we got unlucky too. So you can, you know, NFL players are very good at justifying how they should have won a game anyways. But when you have a few, you know, hey, bad luck moments like that a little bit, you can really justify it. Um I'm excited for how the How did Browns. North Korea get tied up in all of that? Well, I
0: can't remember how North Korea. Remember, I was saying you the lost the ball. That's their,
1: That's the Chiefs' end zone. You, right. lost that's that's the, you lost it. That's it's North there. Korea. You lost it. It's there. Sorry. Right. We'll all dive right. into that in a slow time, right. time again. We'll,
0: we'll, we'll go with the Browns over. We're both over on the Browns. How about the Steelers over under 8.5 wins? Again, 17 games. So, 8-9? Boy, that doesn't feel like a Mike Tomlin record.
1: No. Over, 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 over. I mean, that. That's I'm going over all the way. I just, I, you know, I'd like to see TJ Watt get, you know, signed and on the field. That does scare me a little bit, but this is still a damn good defense. I think they're definitely going to try to play a different style of football. They drafted Najee Harris as a new O line. And Big Ben, I mean, we showed some of those plays the other day. I mean, Big Ben throwing the ball down the field. I mean, he made a play where he scrambled to the left and ran back to the right. And I was like, who the hell is this guy? So I'm going over. I think Pittsburgh's going to have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder for the way last year ended. And if they do some more of this right here, they're going to be dangerous because they got weapons on the outside to beat you. And hopefully their run game can can you know um, help them out a little bit. I worry about Ben Roethlisberger staying healthy now at 39 and clearly
0: not with the TB12 method. He had the elbow thing a couple of years ago and it happened so suddenly I'm scarred by that. Yeah. Also, with four new offensive linemen and Big Cat's argument back in June when we were talking about the Steelers was, well, they stunk, so you're not going to be worse with four new offensive linemen. I wouldn't go quite that far. It's going to be a work in progress. It's a critical aspect of whether or not the team's going to be successful. I give Mike Tomlin a lot of credit, though, pulling the guys together, getting more out of the individual pieces. I think they will be fine. I'll go over, but not by much. Not by much. I think they're going to be a long shot to make the playoffs. I think 10-7 and maybe is is the, the record for the Steelers and maybe third place in the division and maybe... One of the wild card spots for them. All right, the Bengals. Now, look, if all these three teams are good, the Bengals over under six and a half wins. I think we both would say they're going to be the odd man out.
1: They're going to be the team that is below six and a half victories. Uh, to me, I, I don't know. I mean, this is one of those where I want to go, who in Vegas was smoking crack on this one? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, six and a half. Like, what? I, I don't see it. I'm sorry. I'm, you know, sorry, Manchester. Sorry, anybody out there. I you know I don't, you know. Joe Burrow, that issue, that's scary as hell. I don't know what's going on there. I know you like that. and The, you know, the,
0: the crack-smoking odds makers. Yes. Yeah, well, how that dare they? That is a sustainable business.
1: <laughs> with people setting our
0: lines very carefully <laughs> so the house doesn't go bankrupt. They're out smoking crack in the alley. They'll yes. be back in a minute.
1: We're They'll going, be back. <laughs> somehow they always win these bets. I don't know how they do it. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. I just—I Again, I look at their roster and Joe Burrow's health. Of course, the division, like you talked about, all of those things to put together, I, I just don't see any more than six wins. No way. I, I, you see five and 12, four and 13, something like that.
0: I know that every fan of every team is wired to be optimistic. Everything about the offseason is geared toward making every fan of every team believe there's hope from free agency to the draft. It's all positive and hype. And if you pay attention to the media coverage, it's we're we're kind of I don't know it's just kind of like when in Rome. Like everything's great. Everyone's great. Everyone's gonna be great. Oh, this team's gonna be great. Oh, this team's gonna be great. Well they're not giving out thirty-two Super (laughs) Bowl trophies and they're only giving out fourteen playoff spots. And there's no way the Bengals are getting one this year. I I would say something outlandish like I'd get a Bengals tattoo if they make it to the playoffs this year. I'm not ready to go there. I'm just I'm ready to stake old takes exposed treatment on me saying there's no way in hell the Bengals are getting to the playoffs (laughs) this year right no way in hell and I feel bad for their fans because they want to be part of this party of hey hey anything can happen anything can happen it's not gonna happen it (laughs) can happen
1: it ain't happening (laughs) right so you're going under is what you're telling me I'm going under yes what I'm saying is I'm going under. yeah I know yeah it's uh And I'm not going to Cincinnati anytime soon. (laughs) No, don't worry. Well, you know, I don't think they're going to have any Sunday night football games anytime soon either, so we're okay. All right, let's take a break. When we return, we're going to deviate just for a minute or two to talk about something that's
0: happening in the world of baseball and how some football people are reacting to it and how it should go over or would go over if something like that would occur in the NFL. We'll do that next year on PFT Live. Photos have emerged recently of Mets players with their thumbs down after they do something positive on the baseball diamond. Javi Baez explained the motivation for this thumbs down gesture that has been flashed to the crowd. Here it is. This
1: is the booze that we get, you know, we like, we're not, we're not machines. We're going to struggle, you know, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to struggle seven times out of, out of 10 and, and, you know. It just it just feels bad when 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 we strike when I strike out and I get booed, you know it doesn't really get to me. But like I want I want to let them know that when we success we're gonna do the same thing to to know how to to let them know how, how it feels, you know. Because if we win together then we we gotta to lose together, you know. And 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 the fans are really big part of it. So um, in my case, they they gotta be better, you know. I I play for the fans and I love the fans, but you know if. If they're gonna do that, they they just put in more pressure on the team, and and that's not that's not what we want.
0: A very cute kid. I love the eye black. Perfect distraction from the stupidity that dad is <laughs> spewing. Yeah, th- th- this is this is a a distant cousin to the comedian who says, "I'm gonna come to your job and heckle you." Right? Like, th- there's no logic to this. At least there's logic to that. At least there is some logic to sure, Jerry Seinfeld yeah. showing up in an office and heckling Toby about her job. The, the idea that when we stink, you boo us. When we do
1: well, we boo you.
0: It makes no freaking sense, Chris. None.
1: None. I mean, it, it it's actually looks like you look like a bunch of spoiled brats. I don't know what, any other way to say it. No, there, there's no logic. What he said there made no sense at all. Like, they're paying customers. Yes, they're your fans. They're paying money. Most of these guys are making double-digit millions. they They're it's, Sorry, this is the price. And, you know, when you're the Mets and you squander the division lead and just start being crapola, come on, you're in New York. What do you think they're going to do, throw, like, petal, rose petals at you? Like, get get out of here with that crap. I, I don't understand that at all. And, uh, yeah, Totally totally off-base, not acceptable, and and man, I hope nobody in football does that crap.
0: Hey, look, you're right. They are the paying customers. They are the reason that you make the money. I've said this about Bill Belichick in the past as it relates to his disdain for the media. Bill, if you don't like it, Go coach high school lacrosse. No one will want to ask you any questions at all, and you're going to be paid accordingly. Same deal for Javi Baez. Go play a sport nobody cares about. You won't have to worry about being booed. Right. You, you'll never be booed because nobody will be there. That's the difference. And you need to understand that it is a a very poor – man, I came so close to getting us in trouble. It is a very – I don't know that it would have gotten us in trouble, but I'm not gonna, I'm not going to go there. It's a poor, a poor – Business approach, yes, and it lacks fundamental understanding of why you're making so much damn money. And look, I don't agree with Jim Irsay on a lot of things because a lot of times I don't understand the point he's trying to make. I agree with him on this: the idea that what if the the, the guy you're going thumbs down to, the kid in the stands, is wearing your jersey? Yeah, right. Ten-year-old boy or girl seeing that, and they're wearing twenty-three. Right, and That's and the they message. paid like
1: seven hundred dollars for front, yeah. you know, ten the tenth row tickets. And they're paying like thirty dollars per Coke, and like it's a it's ten dollars to eat Skittles, and all of that crap. Like, <laughs> shut up! Like, I don't, I don't, I don't get that. I don't, I don't. And you know, baseball is supposed to be policing itself, and it doesn't police itself very much lately. And that, that, that annoys me. And that, I'm a baseball fan.
0: You're you're right though. I mean. Look, when I was growing up, baseball was America's pastime. It was the number one sport without question. I was a baseball fan back when the Pirates were actually, you know, uh, worth a crap. And football through the late 70s and into the 80s passed baseball by. And uh, this is just, it's, it's lunacy. Let's go ahead and alienate the paying customers. Let's cause even fewer people to come up. To the games and support us it just I, I and, I'm and astounded it, by it I know and if it ever if anything like that ever even hit the edge of the radar screen in the NFL it would be shut down before you would ever have a guy sitting there with a prop on his lap so you don't think he's a moron like Javi Baez did saying moronic things
1: right like the only thing I think you'll see in the NFL ever along those lines is like you know they're not going to make a statement back they might go hey I don't think you should boo like Justin Fields you shouldn't boo Andy Dalton we're a team, blah blah blah. You know right. we shouldn't be booed, and but you don't like give it back to them. That yeah. makes you don't abs- give them the finger when you no. score a touchdown. No, exactly. Like it just th- that makes no sense. And like they're booing because they're passionate. You're playing here with New- in New York, the capital of baseball. I mean, the, the you know New York, Boston. We love baseball up here. Yeah, they want to win. I mean, if, if you want, if you don't want to be booed, we could send you to the Miami Marlins. Like we can send you there, and nobody will give a damn about you for forever so that's where i was totally like deaf to the current world of sports and i don't get that at all one last point before we go to break
0: i rarely get upset about anything anyone says about me in the comments on pft on social media even though social media is accessible i explained this to my wife years ago these people are passionate they're expressing themselves they're engaged if if uh you I want no reaction like that, then I go right about something nobody cares about and get paid accordingly. It's the same idea. That passion gets expressed. And you gotta be you gotta be big enough to deal with it. Or or get away from an area that encourages so much of that passion and engagement, like professional sports. All right, let's take a break. When we return, Chris has watched the film coming out of week three of the preseason and he's ready to break it down. We'll do that next year on PFT Live.